Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. And so that's where it all comes together with um, you have to know yourself. You, you have to prepare yourself for where you want to go in the workforce, just like you do in life. Don't you agree, Sharon? Absolutely. And be confident in who you are and what you know. You don't have to be defensive because another woman's introduced into the group. You embrace her anyway. She can't take what's meant for you. Absolutely. Uh, we have to, uh, and that's why I'm so much on knowing other people's dreams and trying to help them get there because it's different for everyone. But I'll tell you, knowledge and preparation can hardly beat that. You have to prepare. (laughs) Welcome, listeners, to the Ms. Interpreted podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm here with my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey there, Kelly. Good morning. Our topic today is women helping women, mentorship and community engagement. I'm so excited about this topic and especially proud to welcome two special guests from our regional community where Fletcher PR is headquartered here in the greater Knoxville area, Sharon Hannum and Joy Bishop are two of the most esteemed women in our part of the world, and I'm so excited to have gotten to know them a little bit this morning. And Mary Beth, you've personally known these women for many years. So tell our listeners a little bit more about them. Absolutely. Thanks, Kelly. And this episode of Misinterpreted is so exciting for me as I've had these ladies on my priority list of podcast guests for some time. So I'm thrilled that we're able to coordinate having them here today. They keep such busy schedules. It's sometimes hard to be able to, to keep up with getting them both here at the same time. So it's wonderful that they're here. When it comes to the power of women helping women through mentorship, philanthropy, community involvement, or just plain leadership acumen, Joy Bishop and Sharon Hannum stand apart in our regional business community as leaders of such authenticity, and that's how they stand out to me in my mind, and certainly by reputation. And what's even greater is that they are, the two of them are just so such close friends to one another. To tell you a little bit first about Sharon, Sharon is a native of East Tennessee, has spent 30 years of her career with the Aluminum Company of America, or Alcoa, now rebranded as Arconic, which of course is a longtime Fortune 500 company. After earning an associate's degree in business administration, Sharon began her career as marketing coordinator with an area manufacturer when Alcoa then recruited her. She began at the company as a unit supervisor in the North Ingot department, the only woman then in a traditionally male position, certainly not the only time that she blazed a trail in in that regard. She rose through various roles and retired as an area coordinator. She was the first African-American woman to serve as chair of the Blount County Chamber of Commerce Foundation. She now serves on boards for Pellissippi State Community College and Denso Manufacturing Tennessee, one of the largest employers in East Tennessee. 
Sharon is actively involved in her church and through numerous ministries, notably as a jail chaplain. To help women start a new life after being incarcerated, she developed the Women's Support Network and works with the Recovery Court, as well as state and county probation services. She is deeply involved in her family life as well with both children and grandchildren. And like her dear friend, Joy Bishop, Sharon is the recipient of innumerable community and business awards, recognizing her service to others and her amazing leadership. And as for Joy, Joy Bishop is a native of Central Texas. She received her undergraduate degree and then a graduate degree in organizational management from the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. Her early years included marriage and motherhood during a career that ultimately led to 30 years as a civilian with the U.S. Air Force, during which she had 28 different homes during her career. And incidentally, there are nearly 130 bases in the U.S. Air Force, Kelly. She's been to most of them. That's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, Joy was the first woman to receive an appointment to the Senior Executive Service, and she retired from the Pentagon as one of the highest-ranking civilians in the Air Force and received the highest civilian award there. Following her government career, she started her own consulting firm specializing in assisting emerging countries with their government needs. And over the past 20 years, and this has been the time frame that I've gotten to know Joy, she has, of course, been part of our community here in East Tennessee, deeply involved in community service and philanthropy. Joy was inducted into the Tennessee Women's Hall of Fame in 2015, and Sharon and I were honored to be be there alongside dozens of other members of our community to see her honored in Nashville. Joy's two sons, Greg and Glenn, have sadly each passed away, but she is proud of her four wonderful grandchildren. Both Sharon and Joy are Athena Award winners in Blount County, Tennessee, where they each live and make their respective homes. I am just so excited to have them here today and to welcome them here on the show. So so quite a few accolades here with just both of them. Just unbelievable career and personal accomplishments. I told them both this morning, I feel so under-accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. But, but these are ladies to look up to and Absolutely. to kind of model our careers after for sure. And, and that, that's how they stand as reputationally in the in the community for, for women and men alike, I will say. To aspire to, ladies. And we're so honored and humbled to have you join us today. Welcome to Misinterpreted. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you. It's a great honor. Well, let's start the conversation off here with a real foundational question. Since our topic today is on the subject of women helping women, which is a topic that's very near and dear to my personal goals in life, I'd love for each of you to share with us your point of view, your own philosophy, if you will, on what it means in the world today to serve others with real purpose. In the public relations profession where Mary Beth and I work, we're very often tasked with helping companies and organizations build purpose-driven relationships with their stakeholders. And we talk a lot about servant leadership, and that's the model that we employ in, in our organization as one of our philosophies as an agency. And more often than not, that's a huge part of the approach. And each of you really embody a servant leadership mentality. So, Sharon, if we might start with you, what is your overarching philosophy about serving others with purpose? I think my my overarching philosophy simply comes from the word purpose itself. That's kind of how I live, and I've always I've always lived that way. Purpose to me equals power, mm. and when there is no purpose, you're willy nilly. Right. You're all over the place. You can't stay focused. 
And women have been accused of being emotional people and very unfocused to begin with, and and that has always offended me. Mm -hmm. So the philosophy is if you can stay on purpose, if you can really realize the purpose that God has for each one of us, which is some similar, some different, then you're really going to be powerful in what you do, and then you're able to share that same power with someone else and help them to realize their purpose and their full potential. That really resonates with me personally because I talked to Mary Beth a lot about when my son went to college a couple year, two and a half years ago. He went to London. He went to study abroad for a, a year, for 12 whole months. And I'm a single mom. And I really struggled with purpose for a while because he really had been my purpose. And I've had to get my head back around, well, what's my purpose now? And I think as women, we're probably continually have to redefine our purpose sometimes on a daily basis and remind ourselves. Exactly. Women don't have just one job or one role. We have multiple jobs, multiple roles. And so when something like that changes, then we have to reevaluate where we are and what's our new purpose, what's our new goal, what are our objectives. And we sound like we're very similar in that we've poured a lot into our children, as Joy and I have. And uh, some of the things that I decided to do a repurpose me when my son moved away from home mm-hmm. is really what drove me to do some of the things that I that I did. Right. That's so inspirational. Um, Joy, what would you say your philosophy is when it comes to leading with purpose? I do have a philosophy that I try to live by, and its leadership is love. That's what I think leadership wow. is is caring for the people that you know, the people you don't know, the people in your organization. My goal, as so many other women now, is to be sure that we do our part for other women. I feel I've been blessed in my career and given a lot of opportunities. I've worked hard, but... I've had a lot of good mentors and I've had a good a lot I've had a good education. I've had good jobs. I've had people around me who I've learned from. So I feel very much uh, that it, my goal is to help others achieve what they want to achieve, but it is it's a love of people and that they have the best that they can be and the best that they can do. Leadership is love. I wrote that down. I'm going to put it up on my bathroom mirror. I'm going to say that that's frameable. That is frameable. You know, and one of the key aspects of both your careers, ladies, that strikes me is not only the longevity that both of you have achieved in the work world. Um, Sharon, I mean, you're 30 years with Alcoa and Joy, you're 30 years with the U.S. Air Force, but also the fact that you achieved that longevity during a span of time in which women's roles in major manufacturing, in Sharon's case, or in the military, like in Joy's case, that was not exactly commonplace. I mean, it's. I think it's more than fair to say that you each had to blaze your own trails and self-navigate challenges, particularly, I'm sure, early career challenges that 
today would be nearly unheard of or would be roundly actionable, whereas in earlier times they were not. So please share with us some of your memories of the challenges you each encountered in your careers and particularly in your early careers. And also if you had to figure out on your own a lot of the ways to deal with tough situations without benefit of a mentor at the time. So Joy, if we could start with your recollections in that regard. Thank you, Mary Beth. I was just thinking about when I first started in the workforce and the advice I had from a wonderful woman that we worked for. We were both clerk typists. And we were, she was the only black woman and I was the only other woman in the whole organization. And we talked and we uh, learned to uh, really care about each other and help each other. And I never will forget what Flora said to me. We can only be discriminated against if we uh, want it to be. We, she said, what I suggest, what I have lived in mine, my life is that I do not let it bother me or my purpose as uh, Sharon just said, we must, she said, to ignore it is, is I think, the best thing. Don't let people influence you to fail. So I've always remembered what Flora said that day. We don't want people to influence us to fail. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep our eye on the prize and what we want out of life and the kind of person we want to be. So I've tried, uh, as she said, ignore it or just don't pay any attention to it, but don't let it define you. Mm-hmm. So I have enjoyed when I'm traveling with my male colleagues that one of them gets my bill <laughs> so just say thank you. Yeah, I right. just say thank you and go right on. But uh, it is, uh, it certainly is changing to a different world now. But I think over the years, I've tried to analyze what has kept people out of the work, women from being uh, a part of the management team and so forth. And I'm not sure about this, but this is what I think. I think that we have a trouble as women between defining what a career is and what a job is. Absolutely. People that we work with and for, they want a person that's interested in a career with their organization, That's the organization is important to them, and that... They do not want people who are not supportive of those organizational goals. So if we don't act in a way or that we don't know what we want to do, I think we are hurting ourselves when we can't define ourselves that this is important to me to work. I'm just not here for the job. Right. Uh, if I had any advice for women, I'd say think on whether you want a career or you want a job. Very important point of distinction, I think, with that. And that's a frame of reference that I think that a lot of 
women and men alike, they sometimes miss that larger point. And Sharon, what what are your thoughts along those lines in terms, and especially in terms of early career experiences that you may have had that it would be helpful for generations today to be aware of? I'm not sure exactly where to start. I have have a lot to say on that subject. <laughs> Please. Absolutely. My my early career, I started to work at Alcoa when I was 25. Mm-hmm. And so as a young woman, during the time of the 70s, there was a lot of things. I, I bring to the table or I brought to the table when I was recruited a number of different things. So Alcoa was able to get a two-for-one or a three-for-one by hiring me. They have a female, which was one of the things that they were after. They had an African-American, and their diversity numbers were not very pretty. They had somebody who was in a different generation, was not 40, 50, 60 years old. I was 25. So so they got a three-for-one in hiring, in hiring one person. And when I accepted that challenge, it had more to do with, again, my son, than anything else because he was little. Mm -hmm. He was little. I was 22 when he was born. And so the job that I had, I loved. I loved what I was doing, but I had to travel a lot, marketing, PR, going where the business was for the company that I was working for at the time. So that brings me to another facet that is important as we talk about women mentoring women because that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to do as a mentor and sometimes those persons that you're attempting to mentor don't really want your mentorship. They may need it, but they don't necessarily want it. Mm. So I was traveling a lot. And during that time of travel, when I received the call from Alcoa, I had been recommended by a man, uh, a male business owner locally in Alcoa. And I had been traveling a lot, and I came home once, and my son was calling his nana mama accidentally, and it's like that that caused yeah. me to refocus on my purpose yeah. and what's really most important to me in my life, and he always has been. Right. So I, I accepted the challenge without really thinking about the challenges of going into a manufacturing environment. I knew it would be totally different from what I've been accustomed to the office environment and and all of that, but I was in no way prepared for what I met, which was open hostility, just open hostility. Unapologetic. It's out there. It's out there. raw. I was not wanted by nature. The moment you tell me I cannot do something, then you've thrown down a gauntlet. Absolutely. And I'm bound and Mm -hmm. determined Mm -hmm. to show you that you're not in charge of my destiny Mm -hmm. or my purpose. So my response to that individual was, I came under my own steam and power, and I'll leave the same way I came. Good for you. Don't sell me short. And and proceeded to stay for 30 years. For 30 years. And I want to say at this point that over time, uh, that very same individual on the day, my last day of work before I retired, came to my office and he had become, unbeknownst to me, a large champion of Sharon Hannum. But he came to me and he told me how I conducted myself as a supervisor caused him to change not only his thought process about women in manufacturing, but women in general. And that was such a, you know, to watch some of those guys who were in construction in 
maintenance and those kinds of fields to be moved when I decided to leave early was such a great testimony to me and for me. Very, very, very encouraging. Um, So it, it, it made a huge difference. When I came into Alcoa in that particular role, there weren't even bathrooms for women. Are you kidding me? No. I'm very serious. Where there did were, you go to the restroom? They last minute tried to retro. They ch- basically changed the the name on the door of a of a very oh small, gosh. yeah. And there were some female hourly employees there, so they had made that one bathroom into a female bathroom. They removed urinal, put in a, a toilet, basically, and changed the name on the door. They weren't ready for us. They were not ready for us. But there were a number of things that I encountered that maybe one day I'll write a book that was not healthy or happy for me, but long-term. I grew from it. They grew from it. They now have an Alcoa Women's Network because there was no mentorship program for women at Alcoa then. Mm -hmm. Now they have 10 maybe affinity groups, and I'm very proud of that. You should be. Yeah, very proud of the fact that they finally... As this generation says now, they're woke. Mm -hmm. Right. They're woke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing about my career, I came into an organization that it was against the law to discriminate. The military. And uh, there were a lot of training about that in the Air Force. And what is discrimination? How to treat people? You would think that we would come knowing all of that, but... So I did not encounter what Sharon did, uh, open hostility at all. I, uh, you know, sometime for a meeting, you know, if you wanted to get a real good idea over, give it to a guy to bring it up. You know, it was more important. You're the only woman making a, you know, or something like that. You just work with it. And as you do the best you can, and that you you just earn your stripes whether you're supposed to have to or not. Mm-hmm. You know, right. mm-hmm. uh, who said, I guess it was Jimmy Carter, that life is not fair, and uh, it isn't always fair at all. So, But we have to, It's as Flora told me back in the, when we first were working together, it's up to you how you react to it. So Sharon, if she was stubborn, that was good. Me, I was very persistent myself because I had some firm goals of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I knew that all of those males out there, I I had to behave myself in a way and help them that they would then trust me enough to help me. And that's how it worked out. And I, I think it was Ronald Reagan who said, it's amazing what we can accomplish if no one cares who gets the credit. Absolutely. It sounds like that was your philosophy, and you, play, you played the game when you had to play the game for the greater good. Everyone, it seems, on the way up the ladder, there's that component to it. You always work across at your level, and you be sure that they look good as well. Mm-hmm. But then you keep an eye on your people who work 
for you or with you. They have dreams too. They have goals too. They want to accomplish. So we need to provide them the opportunity to shine as well and to help them achieve those uh, ambitions. And so it's, it's not all about us. It's about those that come after us. I guess Sharon can say they probably happy as a lark over there now. <laughs> and, uh, but she paved the way. That's right. Yeah. And her attitude, maybe she needed stubborn then, and I'm, I'm sure she did. I was in a more, uh, they were quieter about discrimination. And they knew better. They knew better. Mm-hmm. There were avenues of uh, that you don't discriminate. Right. So anyway, keep your eye on the prize. Keep yourself humble and realize what you're all about, that people are responsible uh, to others, that they too succeed in the workforce. I like what you say about as a leader, the people that you are leading have hopes and dreams and goals too, and we need to foster those. And I'm going to remember that. I'm going to ask everybody on my team what their dream is and what their number one goal is. I had some good advice always. Always people were very good to me in giving me advice. The first job that I had was as uh, the human resource person and the first woman in Air Force at the bases that was that. So everybody in my t- that I when I went to uh, it was in Louisiana. So that morning they were always they told me later everybody had just almost had a pool of what I would look like and what I would be wearing, whether it was <laughs> army shoes or what. So any, they didn't know what to expect. They hadn't seen me, but. I had this advice from a person that I respected a lot. He said, when you go to that job, you're breaking ground for all the rest of the women. And he said, don't go home that night and don't let anyone in your office go home until you have reviewed all the their records, their personnel records, and had an interview with them on what they thought about their job and what they wanted to accomplish. It took us to about 9 o'clock that night, but that was the best advice I ever had Hmm. because it was about them. Mm -hmm. And so... You set the tone. I set the tone that I'm interested enough in you and I want to know what you think about the organization, what would you change, and what do you want to do with your workforce career. So that was good advice. And I've followed that at every job I've ever had since then. Yeah, that speaks so much to the fact that we are in such a me culture nowadays. And Mm -hmm. that mentality of the other person first, it's becoming a bit alien within some organizational or company or corporate culture sometimes. So to hear this as really from the voice of wisdom of someone who has charted such a successful career, and that's so much of the blueprint of how you did it, is, I think, very impactful to hear that. For me, I didn't get that advice. It must be inherent, you know, to my nature. 
But I also didn't want other women to have to arrive at a destination via the same way I did. I didn't want them to have to struggle as hard or not have any advice, not have any advice. So I knew what that felt like, and I didn't want anybody else to feel that way. So each new woman that got hired, whether they were uh, hourly or salary, didn't matter to me. If I could find out about it, I went out of my way to find that person in their department, introduce myself, and let them know that I cared that they stayed. I cared about them as an individual, and if there was anything that I could do to help them in their career, to let me know. Mm-hmm. And so it was It was just very important to reach out to somebody and let everyone know you're important. You were hired for Absolutely. a reason. You were hired for a reason, so you do bring something to the table or they would not be paying you Mm -hmm. to be here. But we don't get a positive reinforcement, particularly woman to woman. And so that's important also. For me, I really appreciate the fact that other women give me positive feedback sometimes because it doesn't happen all that often. I mostly get most of my positive reinforcement and my positive feedback from males. That's interesting. Say that. I have a theory. Yeah, yeah. Touch on that, Kelly. (laughs) Well, I, I have a theory. You know, we're the only first world country that hasn't had a female president yet. And from... I don't know how many years ago, I think it was like about 20 years ago, I started thinking, you know, men will lie, steal, and cheat for each other, and women will stab each other in the back. And this is the reason that we don't have the power that men do, because we don't come together as like we should. We don't fight for each other. We don't stand up for each other. We aren't there for each other to the levels that we need to be. I think that it's getting better and it's improving, and but we still have so far to go as women, and a lot of it's our own fault because we don't lift each other up, give each other that positive feedback, really take the time to mentor a younger woman. And so until we put that time into it, I think we're just going to keep going in this cycle. It's that self-inflicted thing we have to recognize. I think that's an important thing. And uh, I know that as I went up the ladder and uh, had other women who were in their first, what would I say, supervisory or management job, some were a little afraid to hire other women because they didn't want that to think that they are, you know, prejudiced toward women. Well, we had a lot of conversations about that. You're, uh, you're supposed to, as management, have a well, uh, I'd say, educated, well, people who are there to do the job, that they are certainly trained to do that. So that's why I always, I get calls now, this long time since that, about from men who said what I learned from you and I started my own business when I left Air Force or I did this or that. And I wanted you to know that it was because I learned these things from you. I'm just as proud of them as I am the many women that I have mentored and that they have had better lives. And uh, so it's real important in your workforce that everybody counts, like Sharon said. Everybody counts. 
Everybody does count. And I say in our office, I take out the trash or change mm-hmm. the light bulb like everybody else. So, and believe me, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk about women in the C-suite and women in the boardroom and the women pursuing management tracks in general? So a huge part of my PR firm's focus is actually on lending voice to women and marketing to women. And probably nowhere is the voice of so many women either not heard or completely misunderstood that in certain corporate corridors and management tracks, we still, as a percentage of board members of major companies, we're very low on the totem pole. The number of female CEOs is on the rise, but we're still nowhere near the ranks of men. We've certainly come a long way over the past 50 years, but in some ways, we're just as challenged as we ever were, just like we were just saying. So from your perspectives, what have been some of the key challenges that have prevented women from achieving and getting to the places they wanted to go? How much is self-inflicted, like Mary Beth just mentioned, and how much of it just stems from prevailing attitudes? Joy? Well, you have to know yourself first. You have to know what you want to accomplish and how you want to do that and respect other people that are working alongside of you that want the same thing. About, I guess I was uh, a GS-15. I don't know if that means anything, but it was a high-ranking civilian job. When uh, we have a career program was instituted and all of the GS-15s were rated to make the senior executive service. It was new then, and we always we all wanted to be one of those. And it was the next step. So anyway, I was sitting in my office one day, and I got an envelope with my rating in it. They had a group that rated everybody. I was number three on the GS-15 list in Air Force, and the entire Air Force? <laughs> so anyway, I saw on the top two, I knew of these guys. I've worked around these guys. I have more experience than these guys, and I think I've done a better job than this. I'm speaking to myself. And I'm thinking, well, what is this? Why, why the rating? And uh, the point I want to make, and I'm going to tell you the end of the story in a minute, the point I want to uh, is that we have to know what the career progression is in our organization. That's a weakness in American industry, that people don't know what the company stands for and what they need to be thinking about and knowing how to adjust in that culture. But anyway, back to my story after I, uh, you know, Uh, I've only cried two times in my career. That was one of them because I didn't think that was, I didn't, uh, I don't know if I wanted to be first, but I knew that I could add more experience than these fellows and more different kinds of jobs. So I was thinking number three sounded really good and you you wanted number one because you deserved it. Well, I don't know about deserving it, but I wanted to know why I wasn't number one. Right. It was okay to be number three, but what made me number three and them number two? Not particularly those two, but 
I happen to know their careers. Right. And and that was the that was the point was that, that was you point. that was the context of you knew their work, you knew that you had more experience, you knew what you had delivered versus it was a comparative, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. objective kind of thing. Uh, because I had uh, I had to tour overseas. I had been at all of the uh, all the blanks. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had done everything almost uh, that Air Force had asked me to do. I'd go when they wanted me to go and my family and everything. So that's so about a, a week I, I pondered on it. And then the man who was in charge of this uh, rating in San Antonio, Texas, I finally decided I'm going to call him. And I did. And he said, I've been expecting your call. If you hadn't called me, I would have called you. And I said, well, I was just a little bit surprised. What can I do to improve my score? He said, you have to get your master's. You would have been a number one if you had a master's. You're not going to make the SES without a master's. That's a requirement. So, and this was the first time that had ever been communicated to you? Mm-hmm. About a master's, yes. Mm-hmm. First you had heard of it. First that I'd heard of that in the senior executive service. So, you know, it's always in the work world, experience versus education. One thing about Air Force, they're real good on trying to combine that, education and experience. But anyway, so he told me. That's what he told me. And I thanked him. And um, I went home and I had to think about that a little bit. What uh, what to do. I talked with my husband. I talked with uh, the children. They were big children then. And um, me trying to always mentor them, we talked about that, you know. So you went off to the... JFK School of Government and got your master's degree. So I went off to uh, the university first of uh, of Michigan, and because they had a real good program in public administration, and uh, so that's where I went first. I signed up the next week, <laughs> and so uh, because Not one to delay. it's always it's always uh, you know you have to if. That's one thing with a woman I think is different than the husband. He would have probably been able to say immediately, I'm doing that as head of the household. I had to kind of see it's expensive for us right. for me to do that, take on that, and uh, it'll be time away from home. Right. And so go for it was a new experience, and we use it all time. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's how I guess. And when Air Force got the SES job from the uh, Office of Personnel Management, the slot, as we called it, I was selected. Well, Sharon, tell us a little bit about the systemic side of that that Kelly just mentioned regarding what holds women back in many respects. I mean, there's sort of that expression, you can't fight City Hall. I mean, if the if the rules are in place in such a manner that it is just inherently preventing you from being able to advance, that's 
clearly you see that you have to change the rules of the game if the rules are going to be inherently out of your favor from even being able to not only just succeed, but sometimes even participate. What are your thoughts on that? Clearly, what Joy said is very, very true. You have to know yourself because how you achieve your best and your purpose is different than how I may or would because our personalities are different. And Everything that we do, we do outside of who we really are. So so it's not always easy for somebody to make the same kinds of challenges and charges that Joy does or that Sharon does or Mary Beth or Kelly because personality-wise, they're conflict avoiders or they're not good communicators or they're people pleasers by nature. Those kinds of mm-hmm. things affect how you respond to challenges in your life. Then you couple that with work-life balance Mm -hmm. because we have so much more to balance. Mm -hmm. The stakes are high. Very high. And if we fail in any one of those, we fail in all of those. Mm -hmm. So as Joy mentioned, you know, she, she had to balance some things before she made the decision, took her a week to make a decision that she maybe would have made in a day had her circumstances been different, had her mm-hmm. personal life been different. So so systemically, not a lot has changed over time, and that's sad wow. yeah. because the standards for a woman is different than the standards for a male. The standards for uh, accomplishment is not the same. There are things that are hidden from from females. This is years ago that she wasn't told that a master's is required for this level. But also those years ago, the same thing was true in the corporate arena as in the military because it's a male-dominated environment. And they had a, a mentorship program unknownst to us. We knew they had one, didn't know what it amounted to. We weren't told that. Or how to engage. Exactly. With it. But it was also designed so that we couldn't thrive in that anyway. The way it was set up. It was designed for men, men, and a man's personal life didn't equate to our personal life. We couldn't do what they did. Mm -hmm. So so there had to be a whole other dynamic, and that didn't change at Alcoa until we got a female manager of HR. Mm Mm-hmm. We had our first female manager of Alcoa, and she came from Australia. Interesting. Had a different culture, a different mindset, very intuitive, very, um, she noticed everything. Mm -hmm. And she was the one who contacted me after a meeting that we'd had about a lot of things that were going to need to change in our culture and our environment in Alcoa. There were were a lot of things happening, and I don't know what I had said in in a meeting Uh, That included a whole uh, array of people. But she contacted me later and asked me if I would be willing to help create a network for women within Alcoa or our own mentorship program, which is where the AWN came from. And so in those struggles, our mentorship program became different in that you didn't have to touch every single rung on a particular ladder 
so structured like it may be in the military and like it is in, even today in some corporations. You, This is the structure. You have to touch every single one of them to go to the next level. And so it takes out, it takes away how personally good you may or may not be at what you're doing. Somebody touched a rung that you couldn't touch. Mm. And you yeah. might not be able to to make that decision to touch that round at that particular time in your mm-hmm. life because that happened to me because there was I had a man I had some good bosses I really did I had some not so good ones but I had some really good managers and one had taken a very an interest in my career and I had been there though like ten years or so before that happened. And he wanted me to go this approach and began to try to sponsor me to go that approach. Well, at that particular time in my life, my son was in high school. My mother's health was failing. She was on the declining side of death. It required that I be gone for certain training modules for weeks or a month at a time. I was not in a position personally to pursue that path. But God in his infinite wisdom, because he knows his purpose for me, I knew my purpose and I had I know me. So I know where my real priorities were and my balance was set. But he worked it out for my good anyway. You know, some things that I should have never been able to accomplish realistically and systemically at Alcoa, he made possible for me anyway. And so for, for women, you have to know you. You have to know your nature. You have to know what you can and cannot do. You have to know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You don't need to work on your strengths. You're strong already in that area. And so people have to be reminded that it's our weaknesses that we need. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking perceptually, what do you think my weaknesses are? We need to know that. We do. And you need to care so that you can be as strong as you can possibly be, not only in the workplace, but personally, so that you have, you're a well-rounded person, that you're not lopsided. You know, I do well in the professional arena, but not so well in my personal life. There's nothing different about you when you show up anywhere except for how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. So so if Mary Beth is successful professionally but not personally, you know, what Mary Beth needs to do or what Sharon needs to do is look at why that is. Why am I good at making decisions someplace else, but I can't, I'm not good at making decisions for my family or personally. Self-awareness, it sounds like, you know, being analytical about ourselves and, not being afraid to ask tough questions of ourselves and challenge ourselves. And be willing to do the tough stuff yeah. because change right. within is one of the most difficult oh, things yeah. in the world to do. Right. And we need to know what we need to know to move up the ladder. What's mm-hmm. wrong with us, uh, our behavior, or what qualifications do we need? We can't just be mad that we didn't get the job if we didn't know what the requirements were and have the good reputation for excellence and that they they can do that job. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it all comes together with um, you have to know yourself. You, you have to 
prepare yourself for where you want to go in the workforce, just like you do in life. Don't you agree, Sharon? Absolutely. And be confident in who you are and what you know. You don't have to be defensive because another woman's introduced into the group. You embrace her anyway. She can't take what's meant for you. Absolutely. Uh, We have to, uh, and that's why I'm so much on knowing other people's dreams and trying to help them get there because it's different for everyone. But I'll tell you, knowledge and preparation can hardly beat that. You have to prepare. (laughs) Right. And Joy, to that point that you said, just knowing what you don't know and making it a very purposeful process of, okay, I don't know this information in order to get from point A to point B. What do I have to do to prepare myself to gather the information, the insight? This reminds me of a story that happened just over the holidays. A friend was at my house with her daughter, and she's gone as far as she can in her organization. She said she needs to go over to project management. And that's a, uh, what would I say, a course that you have to take to try to do that. So my questions were her, have you talked to your supervisor about this? And no, I said, may I recommend to to you that you go back after the holidays and that you sit down and have a talk with him. I believe you are proud where you work, but that you've gone as far as you can in this area. And what do you think? Would you support me if I went to project manager school? Ask him or her, would you support me? She had never thought about that. And then we kind of talked, what if you had gone on your own to school and they didn't want you in that job? They didn't need people or they weren't aware of your goals. So one of the things we have got to do, I think, is be open with the people who manage us in in the workforce. We need to tell them what our goals are and we need to say, We'd, I'd like for you to help me get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing, and I, I will assume uh, that I have a, a good reputation for excellence in the organization and everything. But what do I, what do I lack and what do I need to do? You know, we see a lot of companies and organizations today struggle with their brand messaging. Social media can be really high risk, a fractured medium for many companies that are high profile, particularly for those that are in crisis mode. So, I mean, community outreach and involvement is a really important part to help companies be able to develop that connection with their communities. With that said, how can meaningful community involvement by a company help build the connections they need to overcome identity challenges that they might face. For example, how do you view community involvement as a strategic imperative for companies and what can community involvement look like? And Sharon, why don't you start us off on that? I have two things that are really, really key for me in that. And uh, the first one being for companies, Alcoa didn't at one time they didn't have to push very hard in that area at one time because they were the only, only kid on the block. 
Mm-hmm. And they were the biggest kid on the block. It was the strongest kid on the block. It wasn't until Denzo, Nip and Denzo, arrived in town, a large manufacturing uh, facility that challenged Alcoa to really, not superficially, but to seriously look at our community engagement and why we're engaged in the community. Was it for the community or was it for us? It caused us to take a new and broader step into the community and have a presence. And instead of it being about Alcoa, now Alcoa needed to be about the community. Am I a good corporate citizen? Mm -hmm. You know, we know we bring a lot of jobs to the area, but what else do we bring Mm -hmm. to the area? How can we help uh, Blount County to be even stronger than it's always been? Denso has always been a good community corporate citizen. In that their culture, the culture that Denzel comes from, is different. So the American style of governing and some other styles of governing are different. Some are more relational. Alcoa is not all that relational in, in years past. That has changed, and I'm very proud that it has. I'm very glad that it has. And relationships are important in a number of ways. It's not just your financial relationship. It's not just your corporate image. It's not just all of that, but it's about the people. Once we really began, Alcor really began to look at some changes that needed to be made, and they talked about how people are the linchpin of our organization, that caused us to really think about, is it really? Mm -hmm. For some individuals, it always had been. But for others, not so much. It was more the bottom line. It was more the finances, or we were siloed into our own different departments and what it was that was important for our particular part of the business because Alcoa was huge at one time. Uh, when I hired in in 1976, there were almost 10,000 employees at those three plants. And so for me, I never thought I'd live to see the day mm-hmm. that I'd see what I'm seeing now. So, so when you're thinking about all of those things, when you think about that, corporate citizenship, we have our, I say this all the time, I say it to Leadership Blunt when they ask me, Pete Carter really likes it. And it applies to everything that I do. It applies to my church life, my personal life, my, my professional life. And it really applies in the community because what we, we tend to do is to leave what we don't like. You know, it doesn't work for me. It's not there. I'll just go someplace else and find that someplace else. Wrong approach because, A, it's self-centered. It's all about you. Secondly, it doesn't help your community to get better. Whatever drove you away is still going to be here and drive others mm-hmm. away. So I have, I, for me, I have a right to be here. I have the right to be at every table. I have a responsibility as somebody who is a resident or an employee. Whatever it is, I have a reason for what I do. So I have a reason, a right, and a responsibility to my community, a reason, a right, and a responsibility to my company above and beyond the paycheck a reason, a right, and a responsibility to my family, to my church. All of those things apply, and I take them personally. I try to live that way. So for manufacturing or for the corporate world, the same thing exists. You bring something to the community, very true, but they also need a little bit more from you than just a job or just Mm -hmm, a paycheck. mm So that everybody can be the best that they can be, contributing to an you chose this place for your business and you had to choose it for some criteria, how about making that better so that there can be more at the table? 
right. for everybody. That's so important. I think we've just uh, kind of lived through the Boeing's reputation. And I know that in the Air Force, it's senior management. One of the criteria that you have for success in your job or your uh, work is that you know how to represent your organization. That's so important. A lot of people talk about how awful it is in there. But the thing is, there are a lot of places and things that can be helped by individuals, as Sharon was just talking. We have a responsibility to our agency and our organization, too, to help it succeed. How how we talk about it, how we act, how receptive we are to other ideas. And uh, it's just so important that the company heads these days, they that's one of the things they know, but we have to help them implement that in the communities and show them what it looks like. What do companies sometimes do where they get community involvement wrong? I mean, I guess to Sharon's point about it, approaching it from a a self-serving standpoint, I guess, is the, the first mistake that companies make. But are there other aspects that you sometimes see companies, maybe they go into it with the right intentions, but stylistically they're off? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I certainly have a comment about that. I'll take organizations in t- you know, that we have in our community where organizations select the person to go on the board and represent them in this area. Okay. A lot of times in committees and things, they send the people that they can do without the most. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we get it wrong with time is money we misinterpret time as money. Time in the community, doing a good job for an organization, helping the community get better, that's money, whether they know it or not. So, uh, but I've seen companies see who they can do without the most. So what I would say to a company that came to town and wanted to succeed in the community and be a part of it is send your best people to represent you, people that can do you proud and then train people in your organization to follow that example. That's a really good point that I've never thought of, but um, having been on some boards that were less than efficient, I think... (laughs) It all makes sense now. It all what makes happened? Sense. We just needed you to explain it to us for all these years. <laughs> oh, thank you. I was happy to do that. <laughs> well, as we wrap up here, I want to pivot to a personal question because I've always wanted to ask this of someone that I looked up to. And today I ha- have the opportunity to ask two women who I now look up to. You've both accomplished so much. If you're from the outside looking in, it seems that you've had it all. You've had families, you've had careers, you both had the opportunity to get great educations, you've won all these awards, you know, you've really done it all. And I want to ask, we'll start with Sharon, do you really think women can have it all? 
nobody can have it all. You really cannot have it all. You're going to sacrifice something somewhere. So what you have to do is, is going back to knowing who you are. What's most important to you is what you can have. So if, if, if career and family is important to you, you can have that, but it's going to cost you something somewhere. There are always consequences. And what we don't do uh, oftentimes is count the cost. And so if we're going to be the architect of our lives, then we're going to have to do what architects do, and then sit down and do a fair estimate to look at what you really have, what you're going to really need, and how you're going to put those things in place. So if Joy and I were about to design a, a home today that we want built, and this is our budget, this is what we have to work with, this is what my life is like, this is what my lifestyle, what I can do today, and we hire an architect and we tell them what we want, and they draw out exactly what we want, but we don't have enough in the bank for it, what do we do? Start cutting back. We start cutting back. And so you cannot always have it all, but you can have as much of that as you really, really desire. So we have to be able to separate our wants, our needs, our desires, and our priorities and get that stuff right, mm-hmm. and then you can, you can begin to. And so when you think about family life, well, we're in control of our family life for about a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> the moment our children start to really developing right. into their own personalities, right. they don't necessarily want to go down the path that we had mapped out for them. Right. And so now we're into reevaluating some things. So we're not always in control of our own lives, let alone some other things. So no, you can't always have it all, but you can have as much as you can handle and do it right the first time. So, Joy, what do you think? Can women have it all? Well, uh, I'm going to dodge the question <laughs> because uh, the I just want to tell another story okay. that um, highlights where we are. Okay, uh, you're just working and working, and you're busy. You have 125 Air Force bases on all different time zones that want and crisis, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. All right. It's five o'clock. Time to go home. We have a serious thing in another time zone somewhere. This is kind of what I observed, and I know it's what Sharon says. A lot of the guys had little league practice or a ball game that they coach for their children. The single women stayed and worked till midnight, okay? So that gets things out of balance, who you can count on. So it's not so much me that had a decision then except in promotions in who you could really count on. So there's there's a lot of, as Sharon says, you have to decide. If I have to go when a crisis is going, the company's not going to take to that too well. So can we have it all? It's not just women. Can each of us have right. it all? It's an equal opportunity it's question. An, it is an equal <laughs> For opportunity sure. question. Yeah. yeah, 
because that just came up really big at one opportunity I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we never know, and that's why, as Sharon said, we have got to find out how far we're going to go or what we're going to do. What do we want? What is the most important thing? So thank you all for having us. Oh, of course, of course. I, mean, I, th- I think the insights here are ones that we're going to be, that Kelly and I are going to be talking about far after this podcast is over because you've shared so much wisdom with us and we appreciate that so much. Kelly and I appreciate it. I just want to know if you'll be my mentors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're in high demand. Uh, we haven't turned down anybody yet. I was going to ask if I could apply. Uh-huh. I think I, maybe you have the potential. <laughs> the brass coming, ring. Coming from you, that's a big compliment, Joy. <laughs> Your wisdom has meant so much to us. Just, I've enjoyed this. has been one of my favorite podcasts so far. And we wish you both just a terrific 2020 year ahead. Yeah, Listeners, please follow the Fletcher Marketing PR Twitter handle at Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. We will respond to your questions and comments, so please use them using the hashtag MsInterpreted, and that's hashtag MsInterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. Our thanks to Chris Hill, our sound engineer at HumblePod, and thanks for joining us. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 